This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Live from the Stamp Show Here Today infotainment complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless Tosh by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. We are an APS-affiliated club, so please include your number. Listen to the end credits for more information. This is Lord Cash. This is Command Sergeant Major Mark. This is Sir Jim. And uh, we've mentioned the mail for fun uh, on the podcast a couple times. Uh, she sent me a limerick, which I am going to read because I thought it was pretty cute, and it's printed on a nice piece of uh, designer paper. There once was a philatelist named Cash who wore an interesting badge. It said, if you want to be a lord of this stamp-collecting horde, just send in your $10 cash. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the effort. Uh, also, from Alan in England, uh, you know, uh, he has a print company. I'm going to throw out a, I'm going to give him a plug, even though uh, we have actually very few listeners in England, but hey, uh, he said, he's the one who started by sending us the witless Tosh little stamps, and he has fantastic penmanship and calligraphy skill. It's really beyond penmanship. But uh, he said, regarding paint, I, I asked him for some new labels and he sent them. And I just thought this was cute. It said, uh, regarding payment, if you'd like to send some interesting stamps to an equal value, whatever that is, I'd be more than happy, happier than boring old dollars surprise me. <laughs> so now I have to figure out what to send for my uh, new witless Tosh labels. But he is, um, and he just moved. It's called L-O-G-H-B-O-R-O-U-G-H. Lowborough? Lowborough? Lowborough. Lockborough. I hear somebody yelling from the next room, Lockborough. And it's at uh, Three Forest Road in Lockborough, England. L-E-1-1-3-N-W. I always love their zip code. Hmm. Sounds like a combination to, uh, or I mean, a uh, uh, password to an account. Yeah, it, c- it, it could. Yeah, you can make a great password out of just your zip code. No kidding. Uh, we also got a uh, email from Joseph W. commenting on counterfeit stamps. Cash in your podcast, you assume that end users of counterfeit stamps are buying them online. In New York City, small mom and pop shops are buying these counterfeits and selling them to their customers. So at least in New York City, you can stop at a corner store, buy your newspaper cigarette, and a handful of stamps to pay your bills. No need to make an extra trip to the post office. And I thought that was kind of interesting because if they are selling these like that, 
that's a great business model because then you don't have to worry about the internet shutting you down and stuff. Now, on the other side, the mom and pops, you know, when they start getting their mail returned, uh, which hopefully the post office will do at some point, you know, are they going to get a bunch of hate mail? Well, hate, hate customers. Well, well it's, yeah, it's if, hard to say if the, if the post office follows through with what they threaten, the mail won't be returned. It'll just be tossed. Accumulated or tossed, yeah. Well, well, the thing, though, is, you know, now you've got people who are, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but if you're buying stamps at, you know, half face value in rolls, you have to know something funky is going on. And so, you know, uh, are these New York mom and pops, you know, they, are they contributing to the problem? Well, they're in the supply chain. Yeah. And probably their customers are buying them thinking they're buying U.S. postage. Well, of course. They probably sell it very, very close to face, if not face. So. Well, if you're a mom and pop, you could get away with charging face. Yeah. And say, we're just doing this as a, a service. A service. To our yeah. You don't have to go to the post office. Go ahead and buy them here. It's exactly the same price, so. which means that they have a huge markup. Yeah. And uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> it's also indicative of they're probably not buying those on the Internet. They probably have a supplier oh, we, that's supplying them. Yep. Well, that's uh, like I said, the. There is a major stamp dealer whose name shall remain nameless because I don't want to embarrass him. But he, you know, a person came in and said, hey, I have two rolls of flag stamps. And uh, the stamp dealer said, well, you know, that's not the type of stamps we sell here. You know, we're stamps for collectors. And, but, you know, how much do you want for them? And so he bought them for half face. And he was using them to pay the bills. And one of the bills he paid was to here at PSE. Mailed in the check. We called him back or emailed him and said, hey, uh, you know you're using counterfeit stamps on your mail. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, like, a week later, the person came back and said, you know, you bought two rolls. Now I've got 50. And uh, he said, get out of here. You sold the counterfeit stamps. Get out of here. <laughs> so uh, you know, that happens. So, uh, Jim, you wanted to talk about the Grinnells today. Yes. Why don't you first tell everybody what one is, or what 14 of them are? Yeah. Well, the, the Grinnell missionary, Hawaiian missionary stamps, um, there's been a lot of things written about these over the years, especially in the last decade or so. Um, it was um, determined... In around 2006 or thereabouts, the British Museum finally decided that these were counterfeit or anyway fake stamps. But um, the provenance of the Grinnells is a very interesting story. It's um, the Hawaiian missionary stamps were the first stamps printed in Hawaii. Um, there were four different denominations which constitute in the catalog Hawaii 1 through 4. They're all really, really expensive because they're very rare. Um, the two cent is um, less than 20 known, I think. So it's a very, very rare stamp. 
um, they were printed on a very thin paper, and they were used basically initially, um, it's understood now, um, that many of these didn't survive because they were used as um, revenue uh, tracking. And so the postmaster would apply the stamp, and it would, especially inner island, it would go to the post office of the next island. They would tear the stamp off the envelope to prove that the rate, the revenue had been paid. Most of what survived um, were used by missionaries that were New England-based that were in the islands in the 1820s and 30s and 40s, and they uh, were riding home. So that's kind of the basis of what a Hawaii missionary stamp is. The Grinnells take their name from the person who um, uh, Let's originally say had, them. had them. Yeah, had them. Had Let, them. Let's we not don't, cast aspersions. Right. No, no, no. I, that, Even though I'm sure he's dead by now. <laughs> the reason that we're bringing this up, is, or that I wanted to talk about this, is um, Kelleher's magazine um, was last quarter had a article, and it, and it was front page picture of stamps, uh, of the stamps, and an article on the Grinnell missionaries. And the author um, basically based um, his uh, argument for their authenticity on the fact that the fellow named, I think it was Charles Shattuck, who uh, had them. And then I think Grinnell got them from him, and I think that's how. But anyway, the the gentleman Grizel Grizel had, a, according to this author, a very impeccable uh, record or uh, reputation. He was a very honest man, and also one of the co-inventors of the tube sock. There you go. So there we are, back to the tube sock. <laughs> anyway, so. As the story goes, uh, he got these stamps from a man named Shattuck, whose family had a relative, a, an aunt or a grandfather or grandmother, that was one of those Hawaiian missionaries, and they had these stamps, and he got them from him, and then when he sold them, um, they were almost immediately rejected by the collectors who received them, saying they weren't, they didn't match the existing. Uh, stamps they had, and so they've been in this. Uh, there was a lawsuit, and there was lots of evidence presented, and basically, um, there's been this controversy over these stamps since. My concern with that was we are in the expertizing business at PSE, and the very number one rule is. We don't go, we don't determine the authenticity by the reputation of the submitter. In fact, um, when we look at stamps, we don't even know who submitted them. These are kept, that is proprietary information we don't have when we as uh, experts look at any stamp. So we have no way of being prejudiced by the um, uh, provenance of the stamp or who is submitting it. And um, the, the arguments for these particular stamps, if you, if you take away the fact and you just admit, okay, the guy that, that found them from Shattuck and, 
um, made them available to the collecting uh, universe um, to collectors was a very honorable man. If we just take that as a beginning assumption, he would never lie to us. His story of getting them does not preclude them from being either authentic or fakes because he wasn't the original recipient of the letter. So anyway, you have to look at the evidence. The British Museum looked at them. Lots of other philatelists have looked at them over the ensuing years. And the consensus is that it's very obvious the design of the filigree and the stamp is different than all those that have been accepted as genuine prior to these stamps coming out. Now, the filigree is similar, and but it differs. Also, those that were canceled have to be looked at to say, okay, are these cancels consistent with um, other known cancels that, for example, are on letters that are legitimate or are on um, Hawaiian stamps of that period and, and the other missionaries? that And are these cancels consistent with um, the cancels on the known genuine stamps. The consensus with the experts that have looked at these is that they are not. Therefore, they are being judged to be fake, or at least, if you don't want to say faked, you know, forged um, what, why don't facsimiles. You go for the, why don't you go for the other argument? Because... There's a lot of people who say they are real. Right. And the argument for them being real is... Is. Okay. So if I want to make the argument for them being real, okay, real. Um, There was a second printing done um, by another office somewhere um, that used the similar design, but it was a little different. And um, because the paper's... Basically, there's nothing wrong with the paper. So it looks to and appears to be about the same type of paper used in that period on that issue. Um, that's a, one of the arguments is that, yeah, there's little design differences in the scrolls and in the filigree of the um, uh, design. And if you look at, if you look at the uh, large picture of a Hawaiian missionary, you'll see what I'm talking about. It, there's a lot of ornate little scrolls and flowery things in the in the design around the numeral itself, and uh, these differ from the other stamps. So yeah, you could argue, okay, there was a second printing. So then you have to look at the paper, and the paper is similar. Then you have to look at the cancellations because some of these are canceled. Uh, most of them were. And are, are those is the ink consistent of uh, the period, and are the cancel cancellations consistent with other cancels? And there are differences that experts have seen between the cancel and the uh, ones that are known who are being canceled. And as far as I know, now I could be mistaken on this, but as far as I know. None of the Grinnell cancellations match up to any that are even on cover of other issues. That is actually okay. Is that is I, that wrong? Okay, here, I do not believe. I'm going to disclaimer 
I do not believe they are real, but I am going to do the devil's advocate. Right. And, Which I was trying to do, but and I'm I will, a better devil than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I will argue that they are real. Um, there were lots of cancel devices used. Yes. Saying that it doesn't match. You know, you're comparing one cancellation in the 1850s to another cancellation in the 1860s. It's like, oh, they don't match. Well, yeah, there's 10 years apart. And And the other supporting evidence to that would be that the missionaries that have survived, there's so few of them mm-hmm. that have survived, and they basically were all from the same source, which was in New England there, um, or sources in New England. So it's conceivable that there were two issues of stamps or, or, that were legitimate and that they were canceled at different periods where the devices were warped or changed a little bit. Yeah, or there are different positions on the sheet. Yes, they, now, you could say that there's different positions on the sheet, but then you sit there and go, yes, but how do half of the Grinnells, they're for all from this different position? <laughs> you know, the odds of that happening is really low, but it could just be different position, different printing. Uh, you know, these were not printed by a government. They were accounting paper. And a lot of the missionaries that exist today are fragments of missionaries. Right. And, you know, finding... Because they were torn off the cover. Yeah. Finding missionaries... There's a very famous cover that still has the missionaries attached. Some lazy postal person just had them and let them go through. Uh, Maybe they were stuck down too well and he couldn't rip them off. So he said, screw this. You're out of here. But... To say that overall that they are illegitimate just on these little fly specky things, you kind of have an argument against it, and this argument has been go- going for some time. Hundred years. Yeah, and so uh, you know, are they real? In my opinion, no, they're not. And they were counterfeited at a time when we didn't have as much information. And they did really, really good work. Well, so the, it boils down to uh, the credibility of Grinnell and Shattuck. Let's, we, if we just give it a given that they had a really nice reputation and they wouldn't be lying about it. The, the find of the stamps was in an album that supposedly Shattuck didn't even remember he had. And... Grinnell never saw the envelopes. They were off, already off the envelopes. So there's a, they could be telling the truth, but that isn't the whole story. So then you have to believe that there was a different printing or different plate position, that the cancellation devices were different, but the ones that we have that we call genuine all have a different-looking cancel than the ones that were in the Grinnell find. The, the you also and call also just as a, as a note, um, the differences are rather small. Also. Yes, yeah, and and again, that could be just from uh, wearing, yeah, yeah, wear wearing out. I mean, we anybody who collects postal history knows that the devices wore out, and the more fragile the device, the more they wore out. Um, in my collecting area, which is Nevada territory. Utah, Virginia City, Utah was a cancellation that was used when 
Nevada was part of Utah County or Utah Territory. It, I have one that is so boldly struck you'd think it was printed yesterday, and I have one that is so worn out you can barely read it. But they're both they're both the same device. They just wear out real fast. So all these things put together. On the other hand, you have to believe if you're saying they're false, you have to cast your faith in. Um, these guys were really good at finding the paper. They were really good at finding the the filament because the filament, even though it is not the same, it was used on other documents in the Hawaiian Islands at the time. So they were really good at finding that. And they'd been in this guy's household for about, they were, Grinnell got them in 1920, right around there. And they'd been in the guy's household for 40 or 50 years before that. So if they're fakes, they were very, very, very good fakes that were made contemporary with the stamps. Maybe, maybe not. But the whole thing is, is that when these were done, there wasn't that much information. So they were able to match the paper, do stuff. Well, actually, matching paper is really easy. How about the ink? Matching ink, uh, when you get before 1970, in 1970, there really is a break in the difference of ink because in the 1970s, we went from basically organic inks to uh, petroleum-based inks. So if these were done before the 1970s, which obviously they were, you were using pretty close to the same types of ink. The thing that you have to watch out for is like, if they're using a metallic ink versus a vegetable ink, right. then, you know, you can get them. But if you're using a vegetable ink and you use a vegetable ink to print it, it's going to be very difficult. Now, in the 1970s, like I said, a metallic or a vegetable ink versus a petroleum-based dye ink, we can tell immediately. So it would be very, very difficult for you to do the Grinnell's in the 1980s, well, but I, in the 19-teens, not so much. Right. The other thing that's interesting about the story of the find is that Shaddock, the family, basically gave them away. Here, you can have these stamps. Um, the stamp collector, he understood what they were, but immediately, as soon as they went to a dealer who sent them to one of his clients that collected those got them back as fake because they didn't match. So again, kind of a weird way for it to enter the marketplace. If you've spent all the time to, um, you know, if you spend a lot of time to forge the stamps and then you trickle them into the uh, collector market, but to leave them sitting in some guy's attic, for a while, and well, that that's but that goes yeah. back to the credibility of Grinnell. Well, that was one of the other interesting things about the the hoard mm -hmm. is that the Grinnells somehow he had acquired two. I believe it's two stamps. I wish Albert was here because yeah, he, he would know. He would know exactly. But I believe there were two stamps in the Grinnell group. They were judged to be real. And probably were real. And so you sit there and go, well, he got 14 over here, and then he got two more over here. He put them all together, 
so that maybe the two would lead credence to the other ones. But people used the fact that there were real ones in there that were re- ones that were judged to be real that say, well, they weren't all fake. And you go, well, yeah. So he put two from someplace else. But the thing is, like you just said, if he had sold them one at a time, you know, it would be a different story. But the whole thing is, is that we, you know, and this is everybody, forget, we we weren't even a business when they were judging these. You can't go by what the person said. The stamp has to stand on its own. And that was the point why I wanted to bring it up is um, because I, I feel like a lot of times we have things that we think the provenance is really solid um, and we that's one of the factors obviously but it can't we can't expertise things based on just the provenance just because Albert Caspery had it in his collection I mean let's let's face it guys we know that there were forgeries in that collection <laughs> so well I get this quite often with uh, US locals yeah the person says these came out of a really old collection and they go Oh, really old? How really old? Oh, from the 1980s. Yeah. (laughs) That's not really old. And all these local fakes were made, what, in the 20s? I think. No, no. There were were, uh, fakes of the uh, locals made back in the 1800s to fill the album pages. Yeah, but but I mean, they they were were, made up until the 1920s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there were were a lot of, there's a lot of locals, but. I remember um, my experience as a young collector. I was doing business as a stamp shop, and um, I went in there one day, and the owner of the stamp shop was just a glow. He had just had somebody come in with a grandfather's stamp collection that dated back to the 1880s to 1890s, and it had all of these uh, rare local stamps in it. And they, they were, literally, they were, so excited they were trying to count the, how they were going to spend that newfound money. Submitted them all for certificates, and every one came back a forgery because they were made by J.W. Scott. There, were, there was a tailor that was making these back in the 1880s, and they, they didn't sell them as real. They sold them as space fillers for people that would never have those stamps. Yeah. So it was like they said they were facsimiles then, but they, they're housed in this collection that dates back to 1880. So you start thinking, wow, you know, these Civil War um, town camps or these uh, locals from the Civil War, they must be real. Well, pre-Civil War, but yeah. Uh, well, wherever they came from, yeah, whatever era. Yep. These, the ones I'm talking about happen to be Civil War ones. But the, the point is, is that they thought the provenance was really pretty good, pretty right. strong. Been in the same family for a hundred years, come in 1980 with this collection, and yeah, so that's those of you that think that uh, when you're reading these articles and they're talking about different ways that these stamps could be any stamp could be real or unreal, you have to take all these factors into consideration. That's the point of this. Well, I hate the monologue. Here, hand me that can of worms there. I want to open it up real quick. Um, (laughs) 476A, the 30 cent, Mm -hmm. no watermark, uh, 1913, 1914, I forget what year it is. 
uh, they're using Benjamin Franklin's name. The orange one. The orange one. Uh, they wrote about, you know, how it's real. Yep. And the, I, the, our title of the article was "The Stamp That Shouldn't Be." Yeah, which and, in itself, itself yeah. is a and then, and then I wrote a comment on it and said, "You know, we here at PSE, we you know, we we find watermarks on these things." And the person responded to my comment, which I was very surprised about. And he said, you know, uh, it, it, he gave a list of 20 very, very famous philatelists who say the stamp exists. And my comment on that was, you don't vote on whether there's a watermark. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't care who, you know, supports it. It's not like we all get together and vote on whether there's a watermark. There's either a watermark or there isn't, and there is a watermark. It's very hard to see. And the funny thing is right now, in the Philatelic presses, they refer to it as a ghost watermark. Right. So you have single-line watermarks, you have double-line watermarks, and you have ghost watermarks. But it's one step toward the realization that they actually are watermarked. Yeah, they just messed up. But they're still collectible because they have the story behind it. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is that's a stamp that gets a certificate because of the provenance. It gets a certificate because of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, the back of the stamp, they numbered all the positions. If it doesn't have a pencil number on the back, they're not going to certify new copies of it. Let's clarify. They found a sheet, a sheet of this stamp, a, a sheet, sheet and a half. half, that was intact, hadn't been broken up yet, and there, they could detect no watermark on it, and so they marked it, but these were all basically either hinged, but they were all OG. No, it was a never hinged sheet. So it was a never hinged sheet. So if you have a copy of this with a certificate and a number on it, that's the provenance for it. Right. But the the problem is is that any of this any of these stamps that uh, there, there's none have ever been uh, certified that were used because when the gum's gone then you can see the watermark correct and so well now that we have VSC VSC we can see the watermark yeah, yeah now that we're in the Dick Tracy mode of <laughs> sleuthing or yeah. whatever that we've got modern techniques to see the watermark. Um, and for, mo for most of them, you can see it. Now, occasionally, you'll come along on a sheet of stamps like that where the watermark literally touches the perforations and nothing else, and you really can't see it on the stamp. Oh, yeah, the stamp. So you could have yeah. a pair that one has a watermark and one doesn't, but that means it's watermarked. <laughs> yeah, it's from a watermark sheet. It's yeah. just that the watermark didn't hit this stamp. So it is possible to have a 476A, but it's not a printing. It is a freak. It's yeah. a it's an EFO. It's, an, it's a stamp where the watermark just doesn't happen to hit the stamp. That is possible. But like I said, there's a sheet and a half of these stamps and we find the watermark. As a matter of fact, it's the only certificate that we issue with two pictures on it. We put a picture of the stamp like we normally do because you have to identify it. And then we show a picture of the 
image from the VSC showing where the watermark is. Right. Now, it's a single line watermark, so sometimes, you know, it's just sort of a blur on the perfs or something like that. But there's other times when it is just a smack dab center. There was <laughs> the greatest one is uh, it's a smack dab center P. Oh, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a really super clear P from USPS. So these stamps still get certificates because of their provenance. They were certified in the past, so they are certifying them now. Yeah. We at PSE were not in existence in the 1970s and 1980s when these stamps were being certified. So we have no tie to it. You know, if we call it a normal stamp, then we're not, you know, doing anything. We're not reversing a position or anything like that. But realistically, you know, the stamp, like I said, there's a sheet and a half of them. If off of the sheet or off of the half sheet, you find them with watermarks, then all the stamps on that sheet or the half sheet, they all have watermarks. Now, like, like you said, watermark might have been missed on a stamp, but it's still from the sheet that had watermarks. So, Well, I, I as a novice, am still having trouble seeing watermarks that are there on orange stamps and yellow stamps because it's very difficult to see them. Oh, incredibly difficult. That's why they got certificates, you know. So just even though they're there, and I know they're there, and I know the issue is only issued on watermark paper, I still have trouble sometimes seeing the watermark because you you just can't always make it out. Right, right. And and that's the problem, you know. It's... (laughs) <laughs> like, like, it's never going to be in the catalog, but it's a ghost watermark. It's a really super hard to see watermark, but it's watermarked. So is that like tagging also? Does that, do we have the same problem with tagging? Yeah, kind of. But again, ta- tagging, tagging, in my opinion, is difficult because you can't see it without special equipment. And as, as I've said all along, if it requires special equipment to identify the stamp, it shouldn't be in the catalog. Well, the reason I ask that is because I've seen tagging that's, you know, only half on the stamp and things like that, which if if it got missed enough, it would be an untagged, quote unquote, variety. Yeah. And um, so I just wondered if it's it kind of in the same category as that. We may have um, issues that are listed as untagged variety, but unless you have more than a few handful, a couple, three or something, um, can you have confidence that it's really untagged or just the tag doesn't hit the whole stamp? Well, in my opinion, um, you could have untagged stamps because when, you know, the postal inspectors are going through double checking, you know, I don't think they, they had it under a UV light to check the tagging. They just said, yeah, this sheet looks good. This one looks good and just kept passing them through. You know, they didn't have it under ultraviolet light to make sure oh, that the tagging was there. No, I, I I understand that there are issues that have both tag and untag, what, uh, and they have a tagging missing error. What I'm getting at is a sheet that, let's say the tagging was shifted just a little bit, and it missed one row of stamps. That would be tagging omitted. Yeah, and yeah. so it would be a tagging omitted, so we collect that as an error. Yeah, but do we? Well... We list it as an error. But do we? <laughs> I mean, uh, realistically, 
the only reason why these exist is because somebody put them under a UV light and found the ones that have the tagging omitted. Well, did they do How many did they do? You know, we put a thousand stamps under and we found 10 that have tagging omitted. It's like, well, yeah, but they printed 3.2 million of these stamps. <laughs> so, you know, I found one the other day that was uh, tagged and wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. And I'm tr- still trying to figure that one out, how that happened. It was one of those bulk mail. Well, that's a tough one because, again, tagging is easy to fake because you can just spray on tagging. Uh, so it, it's if you can't see it, first of all, I think the demand is really low. And you don't know how many are out there. Yeah. So anyway, back to provenance, let's say somebody said, you know, I was at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing and their tagging machine broke down and these went through anyway. It's like, okay, yeah, um, but we still have to check the stamp. I, I understand your story. Thank you very much for sharing. But the stamp has to, if we put it under there and we see little specks of tagging, it's not tagging omitted. Uh, and we've had these before where we didn't say tagging omitted. We said like tagging slightly still present or something like that. Mm-hmm. And slightly still present means that it's not omitted. It's um, not an error. Yeah. It's a, That's it, a freak. Then. It's a freak instead of a actual listed variety. That happens a lot with color omitted too. Oh, yeah. If you have a few dots of the color, then it's not color omitted. That's like the uh, moon landing stamp with the little guy with the red patch on his shoulder. If uh, The little guy was an astronaut. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> that great hero. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The little guy on the stamp oh, who okay. was actually an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, the picture of him. Actually, we know his name, too. Is, <laughs> but um, it, you, out of a sheet, and I've seen sheets of it. And out of a sheet, you'll have 50 stamps, and maybe 46 of them will show small bits of the red, and like three or four positions will not show any red. So you, and it's, like I said, I've seen a couple of them. Um, The red is omitted only on a couple of the stamps, and sort of kind of close to omitted on the other 46 stamps. So, you know, maybe that should be a letter grade or a letter under the uh, catalog number kind of sort of omitted. <laughs> almost all almost all omitted. <laughs> well, that's like the uh overrun countries. There's a copra mm-hmm. where the letters are broken. Yeah, the e in Korea. Right, and instead of saying Korea, it looks like it says corpa. Well, the two stamps above it, yeah, the two stamps above it. I think it's two. Don't yell at me if it's not the, no, you're an idiot. It's the step to the left and the step to the whatever. Um, but the two stamps, there are broken letters on those also. But they're not the corpora. Mm-hmm. They're just other broken letters. So they said this one we're segregating out and calling corpora. The other two? Not listed at all. So, uh, anything else? Well, there's St. Louis Stamp Expo is this weekend. 
Yes. Weekend coming up. I will be there. Also, I'll give another shout out for to Garfield Perry. Uh, Garfield Perry is going to be in Cleveland in August, August 10th through 13th. This is a big, big show. If you can make it, you really, really should. And with that, happy collecting. Just remember, watch your provenance. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and realize that we don't care about we don't, provenance. We really don't care about it. <laughs> we need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this Silcom was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.